Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. You're killing me, Smalls. There's no crying in baseball. I on the ball, okay? One, two, three, strike. That guy was a bro. <laughs> and his name is Dan Ugly. Let's go Bucks. Oh, uh, you're calling me weird. God bless America. God bless the queen. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Top Step. I am Steve Miller, joined via Zoom by Paul Fritchner in Cincinnati, Ohio. Paul, happy Saturday. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Happy Saturday to you too, Steve. It's a nice day here in Cincinnati. It's a little overcast, but it's really chilly. I saw on the the forecast that next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Valentine's Day weekend, I saw a negative on the forecast for next weekend negative fahrenheit next weekend the low the high was like 16 the low was at one point i saw it was like negative four and then last night it it warmed up to a toasty negative one so we are nice and chilly here in the queen city for the next week and a half or so probably but like no snow either so you're not even really getting the benefit of at least being able to look out and see it's nice it's just you hear the wind rustling it's it is what it is. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> at, at least you can be nice and cozied up this weekend. We're recording this the Saturday before Super Bowl Sunday. It should be a great game. Do you have any money down on the game? Or are you willing to share what your thoughts are? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, asking if I have any money down on the game seems like a little waste of breath. You could have just gotten ahead of the question and just asked who I was on. Uh, actually, I don't. You are kind of right. I don't have I haven't gone in on it yet. I'm, I'm still kind of waiting. The line really hasn't moved at all. Vegas is so sharp on the NFL. It probably won't move much more, maybe a half point one way or the other, but it really probably won't move. This is so, so, so tough. So tough because you look at, and I'm not going to get into all of it. That's not what we're here to talk about, but like Mahomes and Brady, it's like you're, you can't really go wrong. And you to look at some of the, injuries that the chiefs have especially on their offensive line you could point if you're a bucks better you could make yourself feel better by looking at those injuries if you're a chiefs better you could say okay well uh the the chiefs already won the first matchup this season they won by three but it really wasn't that close like the bucks made it close in the end but the chiefs had commanded that game the whole game and ended up only being a three-point game i think the chiefs were minus three in that game too and it pushed but I've been so ice cold in the last like two and a half weeks, three weeks, like to a point where it's like almost the worst I've ever been cold that I'm thinking about trying to convince myself to bet on one team and then just fading myself and betting the opposite side. That's almost where I'm at with how cold I am. I don't I haven't made up my mind yet. I, I'm like 90% sure I'm going to lean to Chiefs minus three. Um but I don't, I don't know yet. I, I don't know. You're just trying to use some like reverse psychology to get ahead of Murphy's law. It's exactly, I, there's nothing I can do. No matter what I do in the last three weeks, no matter what I do, I get it wrong. It's wrong. No matter what I do, it's wrong. It's ever since Texas lost to Texas tech, Texas was up by like 12 Texas tech came back and won at Texas. That was a huge swing for my bankroll. It's been all downhill since then, Steve. So let's, let's, let's positive positive vibes only. positive vibes only into well, the super bowl tomorrow. as as with many problems in life there's a seinfeld episode for that right where george costanza decides to make every decision that he wouldn't make in order to turn his life around the opposite yes <laughs> exactly. exactly right 
Well, Paul, if you're not familiar, is a veritable expert on sports gambling. In fact, he did a, a really interesting investigative podcast a few months ago, I guess, now on the state of sports gambling in the state of Ohio. And gambling, particularly sports gambling, is something that I think has taken off quite a bit since the pandemic started. And a lot of people have been turning to different means as far as investing in different sectors of the market. So just recently, really just last week or so, we saw the GameStop stock go up by a lot. I know you jumped in on that at a certain point, Paul, uh, as did a lot of people. How did that experience go for you? I was not going to be left on the sidelines of history there. Right. (laughs) Well, speaking of sidelines, when the pandemic started, sports was one of the things sidelined for several months. So sports fans turn to a couple different things um, to to kind of get their fill of sports. One thing we saw was the Last Dance documentary on um, Michael Jordan came out early. Sports fans loved that. But with sports not being played live and sports gamblers not being able to bet, one of the things that they turned to was sports cards. And what we've seen in the last year, even a little bit more than the last year, but the pandemic certainly accelerated this, was investors and collectors, people who already collected sports cards, and some investors who had never even thought about sports cards before, started treating sports cards like a commodity and like a stock that you could speculate on, try to get in on early, and then hopefully return for a decent profit in the future. So just in the last year, uh, we'll use a Mike Trout rookie card as an example. The the Mike Trout 2011 uh, Topps rookie card sold for, I don't know, upwards of one or $2,000 before the pandemic hit. Right now, it sells for close to $7,000 in pristine form. So that just kind of gives you a ballpark measure of exactly what's happened in this market. So, Paul, you are in on sports gambling. You're in a little bit on the stock market. How have you kind of adjusted your own investments throughout this year? Uh. Well, to to go back to the beginning of the pandemic, you made a really great point a second ago. People were so desperate to put their money somewhere that they just were finding any kind of outlet to kind of gamble their money. Now, you saw a lot of people, they call them the retail traders. A lot of people got into the stock market, myself included, but the, the stock market took off. And I wanted to to do it responsibly. Like I spent all summer watching YouTube videos every day. I I spent hours like learning about it. I, I, I was a business minor at Xavier, but like, I didn't take a lot of stock classes. I was just taking more business classes. Um, so I, I was fairly unfamiliar with like the stock market as a whole. So I got more into that. Um, but if you look at other avenues for gambling, horse racing had their best, like three month stretch in, I don't want to say history because I don't have the stat to back it up, but the numbers that came out of horse gambling, um, horse betting from April until like July when sports came back, really April to June, that that three-month stretch, horse gambling was really the only way that people were getting their gambling fix. Did I dabble in it? Yeah, I, I did a few races here and there like when I was with some friends, but like I never really did anything crazy because horse racing is just so tough to 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 get on but in turn there's also this boom of the trading card market so you have horse racing you had trading cards you had the stock market you had all these places where 
instead of people going and spending their money on a burger somewhere or spending burgers, probably a bad, bad example, because it's food, but like, instead of going and spending your money on like a sunk cost of just buying something, people want to try and invest their money. They want to make their money grow. If they don't understand the stock market, they're going to gamble. They're going to buy trading cards. They're going to bet on horses, whatever it is. And last year, April to June, July, it boomed. Everything boomed. The stock market, everything was just taken off. And more and more, like I had trading cards when I was younger, but I never sold them. I never kept them in pristine condition. I had a binder for fun, but I I wasn't crazy into it. And the more and more I kept seeing people trading these cards. And the craziest thing to me, and you mentioned this, was how much they had to uh, be graded and what condition they had to be in. And I would look at pictures of like a grade 10 card or or whatever the most uh, pristine level card. I think it's a grade 10. Um, Whatever the most pristine level of trading card is versus the first level underneath that. Like to me, an untrained eye, I had no idea. I couldn't tell. I had no idea. You couldn't tell. I don't know what qualifies it. I never, like I did get into the horse racing a little bit. I got into the stock market a lot of bit. (laughs) <laughs> I never really got into the trading cards, so I, I don't know the intricacies of grading them to that point. But what I do know is that looking at the pictures all summer of those cards, I couldn't tell a difference between the highest level and the second highest level, which made me think like, okay, if I had somehow stumbled across a card like this 10 years ago and I let it sit on my desk and collect dust, probably it's somewhere along the way when I was cleaning my desk and I picked it up, I might've bent the corner a little bit and knocked it down from a 10 to a nine or whatever it is. And you know, that subtle little difference maybe cost you thousands of dollars. I don't know, but it was very interesting to me seeing this sudden resurgence in a trading card market that maybe I was blind to, but I felt like we hadn't seen in a long, long time. Right. And the, the 10 and the nine difference that you bring up is really interesting because you would think that, and, and you're right, it is a scale of like zero to 10 when you're grading a card, that an, an, a card graded nine would be worth 90% of what a card graded 10 is worth. But it's not, it's almost like driving a new car off the lot, right? When a card is graded a nine, it's worth maybe 30% of what a grade 10 is worth. And then it drops off even more drastically from there. So just thinking about that in itself is pretty crazy. Um, so for this podcast, I interviewed Charlie DiPietro, who is the owner of Sports Card Plus, which is a sports card hobby shop in San Antonio, Texas. He talks in the interview a lot about his career getting into sports cards, what the market's done in the last year. Um, he says his shop is frequented by people who are from all over the state of Texas, Dallas, Laredo, Houston, and he sells online to people even internationally. So it's a great interview and, and we hope you enjoy it. But before we kick into that, um, just to get back a little bit to the market that we were talking about, I think a lot of people right now have a feeling that the market is inflated. If you look at the housing bubble right now, if you look at the stock market, there's a lot of people, like you mentioned, Paul, who had expendable income because they had more of these white collar jobs where they could work from home and they just didn't have anything else to spend their money on. They're now just throwing it into the economy. And then people get their stimulus money and they throw that into the economy. So the stock market is doing as as well as it's ever been. Sports cards are doing as well as they've ever been doing. Um, Sports gambling, for instance, as well. So I think some people think that the market is a little bit artificially inflated right now and might crash here in the coming months or years. But sports cards, and we talk about this a little bit in the interview, are an interesting case study because the last sports card bubble that happened was in the 1980s. 
that crash just because of the drastic supply and crazy inflation of the, the sports card supply. But now there are these exclusive contracts between card manufacturers and each league, which keep the sports card supply to match the demand at least step for step um, up to this point. So Charlie points this out, and I think there's a chance that maybe we will not see a crash in this market, at least as soon as we see the uh, the actual stock market crash. Does that make sense, Paul? Yeah, and, and one thing that I think uh, you make a point on there is a lot of the retail traders in the stock market you know, they, they like to say that they're going up against the big guy. And, you know, that was the whole thing with GameStop and everything going up against the hedge funds, going up against the institutional traders and everything like that. And the one thing, if you listen to, you know, the, the media or the, the news articles or whatever it is of people writing about this stuff, a lot of the big name investors keep saying like, Hey, these retail traders have been winning for a year. And a lot of these people, like myself that got into it in March. Now I'm not saying I've been winning for a year. I've very much not been winning for a year in the stock market, but a lot of these traders that got in in March have been winning for a year and don't know losing and they're going to get in and they still haven't lost. Like if, if you timed GameStop, right, you made a ton. Like if you didn't, you lost a ton, but for the most part for since March, 15th of last year just march 18th really if you got in the market that third week of march you haven't lost in a year really and um you know the one thing they keep saying is when eventually the market does come back down to reality when there's a crash whatever or even just at the bubble burst slowly then these people are going to experience loss and then either they're going to get out of the market or it's going to go back to normal or, or whatever it is and, and I don't know how that ties in, if it does at all, to the sports card market because the money isn't really tied up the same way. But in the sense of the bubble bursting, it's not going to go on like this forever. Um, it, I don't think. I'm not an expert, but I it just common sense would tell you that it won't. And uh, it's just kind of a matter of when. Right, yeah. The The one thing that the sports card market does have going for it is that exclusive exclusivity between the manufacturers and the leagues and i think maybe people are going to start treating sports cards kind of the way they treat art where there is a limited supply of it and if you have the money and if you value these cards or these players particularly like you're willing to spend that um so as long as the the manufacturers themselves kind of meter themselves and keep the supply down i think there's a good chance that this will last at least as long as we see sports gambling and and sports themselves last Um, but Really, as the cliche says, only time will tell uh, for that matter. Yep, for sure. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this interview, Steve. I, I happened, uh, you did it by yourself, but uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this. Okay, I'm here with Charlie DiPietro, the owner of Sports Cards Plus in San Antonio, Texas. Charlie, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, hobby's doing great. So, gosh can't think of uh, life being any better than it is today. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you talking with us today. And um, just to get started off, I, I want to ask you the question. I'm sure you've answered a thousand times already. How did sports cards in general come into your life? What was your introduction like to them? And then how did you come about owning a sports card store? Well, I uh, saw the uh, 
1957 uh, World Series on TV, and I instantly became a Braves fan. And uh, back then, uh, I was uh, nine years old, and my brother and I used to uh, uh, pull a uh, little red wagon around the area, picking up uh, soda bottles and uh, turning them in at the local grocery store for uh, $2, I mean, $2, two cents a bottle, and uh, bought packs of uh, baseball cards for a penny a pack. That's how I got started. Oh, I mean, that's how I started collecting. But uh, as far as the shop is concerned, uh, I was a full-time engineer for uh, quite a long time. In 1990, well, and I, and I would set up at card shows starting in about 1983. Uh, but in 1990, my wife retired from the Air Force and uh, she was looking for something to do. She didn't want to work for anybody, including myself. So I told her, why don't you open up a sports card show and I'll be the silent partner. So my wife started Sports Cards Plus for us at uh, pretty much our current location. And uh, we've been, and then in the, let's see, 2008, I retired from civil service and came to do this full time. Wow, that's awesome. Do you have any of those original cards that you bought? in one cent packs back in the day? <laughs> I'm afraid I was a little kid and didn't take very good care of them. <laughs> I believe we sold them all, you know, for, for not too expensive because, like I said, I didn't take very good care of them. I think around 1961, I, when I got a little bit older, I, I took better care of those cards. So I, I might still have a few of those that I've put away. Man, I think when people talk about the history of baseball cards in America, a lot of times they hearken back to that era when kids were putting them in their bicycle spokes. And just like you said, not treating them like they'd be worth anything. Then it turns out you fast forward a few decades and they start to become worth something. But that's kind of how we hit the first uh, bubble, if you will, in the sports card market back in the, in the eighties, people call it the junk wax era when cards were just mass produced. Um, and they pretty much became worthless as I'm sure, you know, well, just pretty much worth their weight in cardboard. But then in the last couple of years, we started to see the market kind of bounce back a little bit. Um, so what were some of the signs that you saw in the last few years that sports cards were going to kind of come back and become popular again? Well, gosh, uh, like I said, we've had our store for almost 30 years now. And uh, from my view, they were popular. They just weren't worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Back when we opened up our store, in 92, there was 53 card shops in San Antonio. Wow. And yeah, there was one on, there were like uh, Starbucks, one on every corner. So it was really popular back then. They just weren't worth a lot of money. Uh, so it's the value that's changed. They, they've been popular for a long time. Uh, I can think of, uh, you know, little bubbles happening uh, because of maybe some great rookie uh, comes around uh, Peyton Manning, Randy Moss, rookie year. Uh, then uh, let's see, next big one I think would be uh, Andrew Luck with, uh, you know, that rookie class in 2012. But in 2016, especially here in Texas with uh, Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, 2016, the card values and 
and sales started going up for me. Uh, and then 2017, and it went up again with uh, Watson. And that was actually before uh, Mahomes became really popular. But Watson was the guy in 2017. And then came 18, 19, 20. Every year, uh, sales became stronger, values went up. And uh, if I may point to uh, what's happened in the last year, I think it started with uh, Kobe's death. Uh, what it did is it brought a lot of attention to sports and sports collecting. Uh, on the day that Kobe died, uh, Topps rookie cards that I was selling here in the shop for $20 sold for $800 on that day. Uh, since then, they, they've went down a little bit, but they're still selling at $200 to $300 for a Topps rookie card that less than a year ago was $20. And uh, so that brought attention. If, if I may go on, uh, I, I believe that um, with that new attention of new collectors and people with money that were sports fans, uh, they started spending more money on other things. It's, things were going up before the pandemic hit, but then the pandemic hit and a few things happened. One is the manufacturers were on lockdown. They couldn't produce any cards for about six weeks. So people had to go back to old product. By old, I mean one, two, three years old. And they were buying all that up. And they found out through a lot of these uh, internet influencers that if they got their cards graded, they would be worth even more money. So everybody starts sending their cards in to get graded. Pretty soon, the grading companies had more pro more work than they could handle, and delays got bigger and bigger. And so people started thinking, well, I need to buy existing graded cards. Next thing you know, existing graded cards went up in value. Uh, and, and that's just been going on since the pandemic hit. Uh, the, the, the grading companies are like six months behind. You know, if you turn in a card for, for just normal grading, it, it takes you six months to get your card behind, back from them. Of course, if, if you pay uh, premium prices, you know, they can expedite the, the grading, but then you're paying like $75 to get a card graded. So, and, and actually nothing is, is seems to have uh, uh, caused the market to go down. There's a lot of positive things happening, a lot of new rookies getting attention. And uh, a lot of I'm seeing a lot of new people with money coming into the hobby, and uh, they're they're willing to pay the big bucks to get what they want. Yeah, that's really interesting because I had assumed that with the pandemic, what had happened was sports fans just had nothing else to do because there were no live sports on, so they they turned to sports cards as kind of their outlet for spending money. That is a factor. That is a factor. That's one that I neglect neglected to mention, but that is a factor too. There was a lot of people at home, the people that had discretionary money, you know, extra money to spend were allowed to work from home. And so now they don't have to commute to work. Uh, they don't have to pay for expensive lunches and they have more money to spend. They're on the internet in their free time. And um, another thing that's happened too is when the pandemic hit, there was no sports to bet on. So the people that were used to spending money to bet on sports were also spending their money now 
to bet on cards. So they were they were uh, looking, you know, to to get their enjoyment from uh, uh, cards in order to speculate what might uh, be going up in value. Right, exactly. We're, yeah, we're seeing sports cards, and you mentioned graded cards. So, so grading is a process by which you you submit a card to a company like PSA, for instance, and they take a look and and make sure that the card is up to spec. So, if the corners are sharp and the centering is good and the image looks good, a grade of ten is a pristine card, and it, it gets encased in 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 just like a plastic case with a official sticker on it, and then people treat that card uh, like almost like a stock because it's been certified as a uh, a valued card, a, a pristine card, and they trade it and they sell it. And so people, like you mentioned, are buying cards that have already been graded and then hoping that the values go up. So um, for instance, StockX, I'm sure you're familiar with that, is, a, is an app um, and a website where people trade in goods like their stocks and trading cards have gone up uh, immensely in the past year on StockX and people are just buying and selling these graded cards um, as as though it's, it's just part of it's another part of the the economic market, which I just find really interesting because it's probably not something you ever would have considered even just a couple of years ago that people would be doing this with sports cards, right? Well, I've, I've been, you know, because I'm in this business, been preaching that to my customers for years, but it's finally come into fruition. It's finally happened. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And like you mentioned with influencers, we see a lot of people on YouTube and Instagram kind of acting like sports card speculators and, and telling people which cards might be the next hot ones to come out, et cetera, et cetera. If we go back to that first bubble of the sports card market, I think a lot of people point to just the overwhelming supply that kind of crashed the value of cards back in the eighties, because there were so many different companies producing so many different cards and just the supply was all too much to uh, to keep up with the or with the demand, I should say. Um, the d- demand just wasn't there for the amount of cards that were being produced. Nowadays, though, I think, um, and you can hopefully speak to how this has impacted the market, but we have exclusive contracts between like Tops for baseball and Panini for basketball and football. Is that kind of helping to keep that supply down and keep that bubble from inflating again? Yes, it is. Uh, one of the main reasons that the manufacturers, it was actually uh, Upper Deck that went to the NBA and said that uh, we need to have just one manufacturer for NBA cards, and that should be us. Uh, the reason they did that is because they were competing with all the companies to get what they're calling assets, which is autographs. So all these companies trying to get autographs. And so if you have a star who is trying to decide who should I sign with. He's going to go with the highest dollar value. So the manufacturers preferred to have one manufacturer per per license. And so what each of the uh, leagues decided to do was go with the highest bid as far as the manufacturers were concerned. And that's where we are today, where there's only one manufacturer for each sport. Right. So if, if we just take a magnifying glass and put it on, on baseball, uh, within like the Topps baseball brand, we still see different lines of cards. We see like Topps and Bowman and Topps comes out with a few series. They've got their flagship series. They have, you know, Topps Finest, Topps Gold Label. I mean, you can go on and on about the different like lines of cards within Topps. 
um, you know, exclusively for Major League Baseball. So how does a collector kind of keep up with what they should be buying, what the good products are, and will all those different p- products like drive up that supply and burst a bubble or does it not work that way? Well, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so the, the reason the companies do that is they can't keep producing more and more of the same cards. The collector says, okay, I got my fill with Top's Finest. What's next? I, I get that request every day. What's coming out next week? Everybody wants to know what's a new product. So by keeping the production down on any given product and then producing many products, that helps feed the demand and uh, keeps the product from being overproduced. When I was in like elementary and middle school, I collected cards myself. I mostly just collected the uh, the Tops flagship series. So I'd get some packs of series one, two, and, and the update series. Um, and I mostly just paid attention to the teams that I like and didn't really collect rookies or any cards that I thought would be of any value. But um, as I lost interest and then kind of came back into to paying attention to the hobby recently, if there was one thing that piqued my interest, it was the 2011 update Mike Trout rookie card. Um, so the, the 2011 update series is just the, the third installment of the Topps flagship series. So if, if I had been in your hobby shop back in 2011, I think that comes out in like November, December uh, of that year, I could have picked up a pack of, of those cards for what, like $2, $3 or something like that. That's correct. And the Mike Trout rookie card probably would have come in about one every 30 to 35 packs, or I probably could have even bought it as a single card for like a dollar or less. There probably was not a super valuable card. I can't remember what they were. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But they weren't very expensive. Right. Right. Nowadays though, if you look at eBay, I just checked before this interview started the, uh, the sales of Mike Trout rookie cards that are graded in, in the PSA 10 condition are selling for upwards of six to $7,000, which to me right. is, is absolutely insane that I could have picked up this card for, let's say a dollar <laughs> 10 years ago and have turned it for that kind of a profit. Um, so do you think any part of the hobby, particularly in baseball, is just people kind of looking for that next rookie to jump in on to try to buy their cards at a low market value for a couple dollars? And then maybe in a few years, they're going to become the next Mike Trout and be able to sell them for thousands. There, there is some of that. And uh, it's, it's really hard to predict that type of thing. But there are people that are looking for uh, rookie cards that are not too expensive and they'll buy them. You can see them on eBay. They buy them in lots of 10, 20, 50 or 100 and hoping that that's going to be the guy that is going to go from being uh, – 20 cents a card to maybe $20, $50, a hundred dollars. So uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that going on. With, with the trout specifically, do you know when the prices of, of that card started going up and up? I can't remember exactly. I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> fine. My memory was better than that, <laughs> but uh, it, it took a few years. I mean, they, they started going up, but they didn't hit the values even half of what they are now until just recently. Right. Yeah. Because that's that's part of the situation right now. (laughs) I was paying attention to this a little bit about a year ago, and I want to say that those cards were in the two to three thousand dollar range. So, yeah, even in the last 10 for a a 10. Yeah. 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 And even in the last year, I mean, Trout hasn't done much. There was only like half a season this year. Uh, So it's not like he got twice as good as he was a year ago. There's just twice the demand, I guess, for those cards. 
Now, we talked about the different lines of Topps cards. So back in 2011, I'm sure there were other Mike Trout rookie cards produced in the other lines of cards. So are those cards just as valuable as that update series card? I, I believe the uh, Bowman Sterling autograph, it's an autographed rookie card, is worth more. Uh, I haven't checked recently. People will ask me, what's the value of this card? And I tell them, well, if I don't own it, I have to check eBay because I don't know. Right. But, but that that one was worth more than the update uh, last time I checked. So I don't know if that's still the case. Right. Was that the card that sold for like three point something million or was that a different Bowman drought card? Oh, uh, gosh, I, I can't remember. I believe okay. that was the one. Yeah. OK, gotcha. Yeah, because I do remember that. I think that broke the record for like most expensive baseball card. But uh, it was just in the last few months, uh, one of his autographed rookies or, or prospect cards sold for more than three million, I think, which, yeah, is just crazy. Um, so we've seen similar price hikes to, to that 2011 series in recent years with the 2018 update. That was when uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Juan Soto had rookie cards. Um, and then we see it in in some of the 2019 cards, like 2019 Series 2 with Fernando Tatis. So can you point to anything specifically that would maybe make those cards start to, to grow the way that Mike Trout has? Um, is it at all just the supply of those PSA 10s? Do people not have as many good graded cards of Mike Trout as they have of these other newer guys? No, what it is is uh, things like guy hitting 50 home runs, 40 home runs, uh, RBIs, game-winning RBIs, uh, being on TV. Uh, I know Trout doesn't do a lot of commercials, but, you know, being on TV, doing commercials, um, that that all adds to the perception that this is somebody I need to buy. Actually, grading, though, do you think that there will be a higher supply of the Soto and Acuna graded cards because I doubt that many people were putting trout cards away in like plastic cases 10 years ago to, to try to get them, you know, graded or keep them in good condition to be graded. Does that at all play into it? Yes, it does. I mean, uh, people are more and more aware that they need to protect their cards. It, it used to be that I had, people kids come into the store wanting to sell their cards and they're loose in a box mm-hmm. so yeah protecting the cards everybody knows it used to be too that uh, i had people opening up cards in the shop and they would leave behind cards nowadays nobody leaves cards behind <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know everybody's becoming aware that someday this might be valuable yeah um, all right, let's zoom back out now and just talk about the hobby as a whole. You mentioned some of those basketball and, and football rookie cards that were gaining value in the last several years. So it seems like almost every sport is gaining popularity right now in, in sports cards. Between basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, whatever there is, what's the hottest product out there right now, or at least the hottest product that sells in your store? Right now, football is selling the best because we're getting ready to do the Super Bowl. Everybody wants... Patrick Mahomes. Uh, last year, everybody wanted uh, Lamar Jackson and uh, Baker Mayfield. I mean, it kind of changes depending on who's getting the attention of the hobby. Uh, as far as the 2020 cards, everybody's looking for Justin Herbert. So, uh, and there's a lot of good rookies this year, which means that this is 2020 over 
the next two or three years, I see those boxes doubling, tripling, and even more, you know, in the, yeah. So I would say football is the hottest right now for me here in San Antonio. Basketball would be the hottest product, except for the fact that it's so expensive. Uh, A box of 1819 uh, Panini Prism uh, basketball, the hobby box is going for uh, $8,400 for for a box that came out at about $150 a year and a half ago. Wow. How many cards come in that box? 144. (laughs) For almost $9,000. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So basketball is the most expensive and has a lot of cards that are worth a lot of money. But my sales are not as dramatic as, say, football because the box prices are just out of the range for a lot of people. Right. That Panini Prison basketball set, is that the um, like the Zion Williamson rookie year? Is that that set? No, that that's uh, Luca. And oh, Trey Young. Okay, gotcha. The, so the Zion is is probably about half that. Oh, the really? Zion class, yeah. Okay, that that Luca card, for instance, is there a value? Is there a correlation between the value of that single Luca card and the value of that box? Is that proportional at all? Yes, it is. And uh, really, what happens? They say, what happens first, the chicken or the egg? What it is is when the card value goes up, people say, well. I can't afford to buy that card. I'm going to try to buy a pack or a box and see if I can get it. <laughs> so as the value of the card goes up, then people are buying that box and the value of the box goes up. Right. I see. So at the end of the day, though, if you buy too many of those packs, you're almost just better off buying the card in the first place, right? Well, if that's the only card you want. What I tell people is if if you're just looking for one card, it's best to just go ahead and buy it. But if if you like that rookie class and you want to do some speculation, buying packs, you can come out ahead that way, especially in today's market where everything seems to be going up. Right. Okay. Um, One thing I've heard, which I find really interesting, is is about soccer cards. So soccer as a sport seems to be on the rise in the U.S. We see MLS expansion. Um, We just see more younger fans in soccer, I think. And then as we talked about, sports cards are on the rise, both here and internationally. So I think a lot of people believe that that soccer cards are the next big thing, uh, both in the U.S. and abroad. So um, have you seen a rise in soccer products or soccer sales? Or can you shed any light on what we might see in that market? Well, it's already it's already gone way up. I had boxes of 2018 uh, World Cup soccer that I was selling for $150 or $200 a box. And now they're $35,000 for a box. Wow. That same box, yeah. Man. So, so yes, they've, it's already happened. It's, it's not that it's going to happen. It's happened already. Wow. When, when did that spike start happening? Do you remember? Uh, during the pandemic. Mm. Uh, people were looking for something to invest in that the next sport looked at soccer, maybe some, I don't pay attention to all the influences, influencers on the internet, but they might've been saying you need to get into soccer because it's a world sport you got, and you can, I, I sell to people all over the world. So uh, <laughs> there, there's a large market. 
So if there's a large market, then there's going to be high demand. And pretty soon, next thing you know, you're out of product. Wow. So, <laughs> that's incredible. So the next one to go up, now I'll predict this, the next one to go up is going to be hockey. <laughs> hockey. I mean, that's the other one we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> hockey is going to be the next one to go up. Back to your shop, though. Uh, so San Antonio is one of the biggest, fastest growing cities, it seems like, in the country. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really exciting city. I lived down in South Texas for a couple of years, and it's one of my favorite cities that I've ever been to. But there's still only one major professional sports team there, which is, of course, the Spurs in the NBA. So is you kind of mentioned with the prices, but would you say is basketball the most popular sport, at least for people to be fans of in San Antonio? How does for that sure. work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, there's, we have a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans here and Houston Texans fans. So I'd say football is probably second. Then baseball comes out third with the Rangers and the Astros. And then people here in Texas just don't know a whole lot about hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do people talk at all about expansion of any of these leagues into San Antonio? Oh, we've been hoping to get the football team, but... Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. We've already got two major teams and uh, each of those teams don't want to give up their fan base. <laughs> right. Yeah. The so, Cowboys certainly stake a claim. I, we, could, we could easily support an NFL team, but I don't know if that's going to ever happen. Okay. Yeah. Because that's why the Alamo Dome was, was built, right? To eventually try to get an it's NFL good. team. To try to attract an NFL team. Yeah. yeah. San Antonio did host the New Orleans Saints for a year. Uh, and that went, it seemed like it went pretty well. Yeah, it did. We we pretty much filled up the stadium every game. So you kind of touched up on this a little bit earlier, but the card prices do fluctuate as the season goes on uh, and within, within the season. Like you mentioned with people wanting to buy Patrick Mahomes cards. Say somebody is looking for a rookie card of one of these stars. Is there a, a best time of year to, to buy it? Would would someone try to wait until like the middle of the offseason when no one's paying attention to that sport to try to snag a rookie card of, of that star? It's very true. I mean, they don't go down to nothing, but but that's where you can get them at the lowest price. So you, you own a hobby shop that sells a bunch of, of hobby boxes and hobby packs. Retail stores also sell uh, sports cards in, in pretty much every sport. It seemed like you used to be able to walk into Walmart or Target and just kind of pick up a pack of, of whatever you wanted, whatever they had uh, they had planned to have stocked. Nowadays, though, I've been paying attention this year, and almost every card shelf in a Walmart or Target seems to be absolutely wiped out. So are, are local card stores like yours, um, do you consistently have product? And are you benefiting at all off of people just going and, and wiping out retail stores, trying to, to sell them on the, on the second market? When you say benefit, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a good part to it and a bad part to it. The bad part to it is that it seems to be pricing out the the kids out of the hobby. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it used to be a kid could come in and buy a box for fifty, sixty dollars. Now there's a lot of it's hard to find a pack that's less than thirty dollars for a pack. Wow. So uh, that's the bad side to it. The good side to it is. It's attracted people who want to invest, you know, wealthy people. And uh, the fact that the Walmart shelves are empty brings a lot of people into my store, but then they get disappointed when they see the prices of the hobby boxes. Yeah. So that's the bad part. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
one of the attractions of of buying hobby boxes from a store like yours is they have a higher concentration of what we call hit cards. So cards with a relic, like a jersey or in baseball, like a piece of a guy's bat um, or an autograph of a player. Um, and I, what that brings out, and I think you guys do a lot of this, is breaking. So you will take a box of cards and then you'll sell spots, either packs or specific teams to people um, and open them all up. And then whatever portion of that box uh, a person buys, they just get the cards either in that pack or from that team. So um, do you do a lot of that? And does that kind of help keep some of the enthusiasm up in the hobby? Well, it it would, but um, I did a little bit of breaking. I'm not really big into breaking. I am really so busy uh, between this, we have an internet site, we sell on eBay, uh, that uh, breaking, I'd, I'd probably have to hire more people to <laughs> work the breaking side of it, because that 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 could you know, be extra revenue, but I, I guess I feel satisfied with where I am today, but we're mostly a shop that uh, caters to mostly the local community, and anybody who chooses to buy from us on eBay or, or our website. And, uh, and I sell a lot to eBay and, and the website, but uh, I spend most of my time uh, catering to my San Antonio and locale customers. Like today, I got people that drove here from Laredo, which is 120 miles. Uh, Dallas, Houston, all came in today to come visit my shop. And I feel honored that they felt it was worth the drive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm looking at your shop right now. Back behind you, you have, I see a lot of baseballs and some old baseball pictures. Do you have a personal collection of sports memorabilia that you don't sell? Uh, Yeah, I like uh, stuff that is really hard to find. Uh, When I was going to card shows back in the uh, 80s, I was doing a lot of shows. I uh, would buy, if I never saw it before, I'd buy it, you know. So I was looking for something that's rare. As a result, um, uh, a lot of my personal c- collection is from before the turn of the century. And then the T206s, the Gaudis, uh, pre-World War II, uh, because I, I found it intriguing to find something that you just don't see every day. Uh, I do have new cards, too, you know, don't get me wrong in my personal collection, but uh, my real love is for the old vintage. I'll tell you a quick story here. Uh, Back in 1990, I went to the uh, National Convention in Dallas looking for a Hannes Wagner rookie card. I mean, the T206 card. So I I go in there and I found one, but it was beat to hell (laughs) in terrible condition and I asked the guy how much and he said $800 guy's name is David Fesberg I don't know if he's still in the hobby but I I told him $800 god it's worth it but I've got $2,000 to spend I think I'm going to look for one in better condition well I never found one in better condition today that $800 Honest Wagner card is probably worth about a half a million yeah so I should have bought it (laughs) Missed opportunity, but that's a good anecdote though. And it it goes to show, I think what we talked a lot about today was (laughs) getting cards while they're, they're a little bit undervalued, or at least you predict they're undervalued because who knows in just a couple of years, what they're going to be worth. Um, In your store though, do you have kind of a a prized piece of memorabilia or a a most expensive or valuable piece of memorabilia? 
Well, to me, the most prized piece is uh, I've got uh, Tim Duncan's uh, game-worn shoes autographed that he wore in the uh, Olympic trials. And I have David Robinson's autographed shoes that he wore in the Olympics in, I think it was, I forget what years, but in the 80s <laughs> when he was still in college. Right. But anyway, uh, you know, that type of thing. That's awesome. All right. Well, Charlie DiPietro, thank you a lot for joining me. This was a, a great conversation. I think a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested to, to learn about the sports card hobby and, and to see uh, just kind of the wonders that it's done in the last year or so, because it's it was definitely unexpected, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, it caught me by surprise.